0: Alright, well guys, uh, you know we often have questions and uh, we often have struggles and we often have issues we have to work through, right? And questions are part of those, we uh, we go through struggles, I mean like the pollen has been thick this year, uh, you know we battle allergies, right? Sometimes we battle uh, lack of sleep, we go through things, and so we have struggles we work with. And with struggles that we work through, there are times that we battle certain things that seem to always seem to come up. Maybe those are what we call strongholds. We just kind of sing about some of that. But we struggle with certain things and we have to work through certain things. And so part of life is a struggle. Part of life is a challenge to overcome obstacles and things that make us and shape us and form us. And so one of the questions today is, can I lose my salvation? Can you lose your salvation? And so I wanted to, uh, want to confess something to you guys. Uh, when I was in the second grade, I was a, uh, I was a chocolate milk junkie, uh, big time. Loved chocolate milk. Uh, y'all remember the little cartons like that? They were a nickel whenever I was in second grade. tells you how old I am. And so, anyway, at my little school that I went to, it was only just a couple of classrooms there. It was a little small uh, classroom. But uh, whenever you got to get a chocolate milk, dude, that was a big deal. Now, the kids get it all the time now, you know. But I'm just saying back then it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, even getting a Coke was a big deal back then. But now, you know, everybody gets whatever they want. But anyway, so chocolate mint was a big deal. So one day, me and my buddy, my best friend, Junior Bedwell, we made the decision, we schemed this plan, that during recess, when the rest of the class went out, we would go around, we would steal all their nickels. And uh, so what we did is uh, they went to recess, they go outside and we're going around. We're going through everything. We're getting nickels. We got this pile of nickels and we go back and we sit at our desk and we're like, dude, that is a lot of chocolate milk. Man, we were so excited. And then we were sitting there kind of looking at each other. It's like, we're the only two that are in here. They're going to know it was us. And uh, so we were like, we, we got to put it back. So I run to the door. I look out. They're all lining up. They're getting ready. And they're like, they're coming back. So we're running back and we're trying to put nickels back where they're supposed to be, you know, and, and we're freaking out. And I, and I remember going, Hey, How much was in this one? I don't know, just put something in there. So we just want to kind of put it back. And then we go back and we sit down at our desk and act like we hadn't done anything. And you know, our heart's beating out of our chest and we're scared. And nobody says anything and I guess everything was fine. But here's the thing, that was sin, right? Because I was stealing. And so, whenever I committed that sin, even in the second grade, I needed a Savior. I needed someone to redeem me. I needed someone to forgive my sins. That wasn't the only sin I committed. I committed plenty more from the age of 2nd grade all the way up until 19. There's plenty of things I had done that were against God's Word, against God's teaching. Uh, you know, and it was considered sin. And uh, so, maybe like you, you know, God knows what you did in 2nd grade that was sin. He knows what you did in 3rd grade, 5th grade, whatever it might be, 10th grade. He knows the sin that you committed. And so, for those of us in this room that have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we realize that when Jesus died on the cross, that He died for my sins. And so at the age of 19, I can remember hearing the message of the gospel and thinking, man, I want to go to heaven, but I don't know if I will get in. And I can remember thinking, hey, I'm not that bad of a guy. I haven't ever killed anybody. I hadn't ever done these things. You know, I started beginning to justify. And the pastor that was teaching would continually say, hey, if you think you're going to get out on good works, if you think you're good enough, you have missed it by a mile. And I can remember giving my life to Christ at the age of 19, walking an aisle, not really knowing what to do. I just said, hey, listen, I just know I need Jesus. And I, I got on my knees, I prayed a prayer, but it wasn't so much the prayer of my lips, it was the prayer of my heart, it was the surrender of my life to Christ. And I just said, Jesus, I just want you to take me and do with me what you will. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And so it changed the whole trajectory of my life. It changed the way I looked at life, it changed the way I looked at people, it changed everything. And it was a process that began to take place. And so so the thing is that I began to understand what it was to be a follower. But I struggled for a while with that. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I want to read to you part of the message that I heard that night. And this is the gospel. It says, and this is out of John 3, 16 through 18. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And so here's the thing, there's there is the rejection of Christ. And many people would say, Well, I've never rejected Christ. I'm just not ready to make that decision. Well, there's only two responses. You either accept Christ or either you reject Christ. If you if you if you delay it you say, well, I'm just not ready. There's a lot of things I want to do. You know, there's some things I want to kind of enjoy before I give my life to Christ. Oh, there's some things in my life I want to clean up. Then you have rejected Christ if you say no at that moment. It's kind of like oh, de- delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed, you know, surrender is still delayed surrender. And so you, you either accept Christ or you reject Christ. You might, well, Mike, I'm still weighing it out. I'm still taking in you know, information and knowledge and I'm studying the Scriptures and I'm trying to come to an educated decision. It's not about education, it's about faith. And so what happens is we often say, well, I will make that decision once I get past my teenage years or my college years or whatever it might be, or once I get to a certain point, then I'll make that decision when I've got time or maybe whenever things settle down. And so what happens is we have rejected Christ. So we accept Christ or either we reject Christ. And so what, what God is saying here in his, in his, in his word in the gospel of John, it says, but anyone who does not believe in him already has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So there's judgment against those who do not put our faith in Christ, who, who does not believe that Jesus is the son of God. There's judgment. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the father except through me. Most exclusive statement ever made in history. But Jesus made it clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets there except through me. It's not by works. It's not by religion. It's not by following uh, rites and rituals or anything like that. It is by faith and what Christ has done and Christ alone. And so Jesus made that statement. Look at what it says in John three thirty six. This is John the Baptist talking about who Jesus is. And he says, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. John the Baptist was saying, "Hey, listen, guys, you know I'm trying to prepare the way for the one who is coming that will change everything. You know I, I'm just a messenger. I'm just one crying out in the in the wilderness. I'm just letting people know Jesus is on his way, and Jesus is going to make man, man right with God through His sacrifice, through what He does." And so John was preparing the way for the Messiah. And he kept telling people, hey, listen, I've told you many times, I am not the Messiah. But there is one that's coming that I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. But he will change everything. John said, I baptize with water, but he'll baptize with fire. He'll change everything. And so John is preparing the way. But look at what he says again. He says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son We'll never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. You know, I think too often, when we read in the Scriptures, they were concerned about God's angry judgment. I think too often, in our current culture, people don't care about God's judgment. They're more worried about what they want, being accepted, you know, doing what they feel like feels good. They're not worried about God's judgment. But look at what it says in John ten twenty seven 27-30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, My sheep listen to My voice. I know them and they follow Me. I give them, what, eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from Me, for My Father has given them to Me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So Jesus is saying, Hey, listen, whom the Father has given Me, those who have put their faith in Christ, He says, they know My voice. They know Me. They have a relationship with Me. And, and, and listen, he's saying, "Hey, listen! Nothing can take them away. Nothing can snatch them away. They will never perish. They'll have eternal life." And so, this is what the statement I would say: is everlasting life is everlasting. I know it sounds simple, but everlasting life to me means everlasting. Eternal life means eternal. You know, and so we can say, "Yeah, Mike," but you know, and so we're going to kind of dig into some things today because there are some. There's some there's some debate that goes on, can you lose your salvation? And some would say yes, some would say no. Pretty much depending on which church you're in today, what doctrine or what denomination you line up with. But the thing is, is I always like to look into God's Word. I I don't really care what men think so much as I do what God thinks. And so this is what I would say. Let's look into the Scriptures and see what they say. And and I, I would say this too, that oftentimes what we do is we're wanting to know, hey, can you lose your salvation? Because we want to continue to live in sin. And God speaks clearly against that. But we're, we're caught up in something or we're doing something and we're, we're going, hey, you know, man, I'm saved. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, but we're not living in a way that it becomes a witness of that or there, it testifies that Christ is in us. And then a lot of times we're, we're afraid. We keep messing up, we keep making mistakes, and maybe there there's a, a stronghold in your life. Maybe there's a sin, a besetting sin that continues to whip your rear end, and you just can't seem to overcome it. You need to get some people involved in your life, and it's going to take some fasting and some prayer, and some, you know, for you to get that area under control. But if you're truly a believer, if you've truly been saved, then the thing is, is, We have been given eternal life, everlasting life. We will not perish is what the Scripture says. The song that we just got through singing, Jesus, My Living Hope, many of you guys were singing that with hands, raised to the Lord and singing, you know, death no longer has its grip on me. I have been set free. And so we sing that with confidence and assurance because we believe, you know what, Christ has set us free. He has redeemed us. He has uh, saved us and He is changing us and transforming us. The statement here is important to understand. Salvation through Jesus Christ is God's gift, not something we earn. We don't earn salvation. I think too often, you know, because we earn a paycheck, most of you guys—hopefully, you guys are working. You've got a job. If not, you know, maybe we need to be praying for God to help you find a job, or either just take whatever you can get until you get a good job or whatever. Uh, you know, I always think about cousin Eddie holding out for an empo- you know, an uh, administration position or whatever. You know, and like, man, he ain't got a job in seven years. And so he's waiting for management. But here's the thing is, we've, if we've been working, what we have this mentality is, hey, I worked hard to earn a paycheck, right? So at the end of the week, we look at that paycheck and we go, man, you know, I am so thankful that I got paid and I make that much. Or some of you go, God, man, I can't believe I put in all that work and that's all I make. Or, you go, I can't believe they took out all those taxes. You know, why in the world they take out all those taxes so that bothers you? But you're looking at that as something that you have earned and you're going, that's my money that the government's taking, or that's my money that, you know, they're not paying me enough of, they owe me more. Or, you know, it's tax season, so maybe you did your taxes and you go, man, I thought I was getting more back than what I'm getting. That is ridiculous. You know, and so what we do is we focus on this, this thing that we earn. And too often what we do is we want to bring that over to the spiritual. When it comes to salvation, we want to earn it. Alright, I'll be good enough, I'll go to church enough, I'll do this, I'll do that. And, and, and so we think, well, hey, well, if you don't earn it, then you lose it. If you don't work, you don't get a paycheck. And that's kind of our mentality sometimes. But what, what Jesus is teaching is something different. What God is saying, hey, listen, this is a gift. You know, and so a gift, you don't, you don't earn it. You know, I've I've told people this before. I said, hey, listen, if I were to take my keys out and say, hey, listen, I'll give you my vehicle. I'll take care of the, you know, the title. I'll sign everything over to you. It becomes yours. It's a gift. And, and, they, and, and they say, hey, listen, thank you. And so it becomes a gift It's there. But if I say, hey, listen, you have to wash it first, then it goes from a gift to something you earn. Even if they do a 25 cent wash job, they have to earn it by washing that vehicle. Well, God doesn't do that. God says it's a gift. In, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, or 2, 8 through 10, it says God saved you by His grace when you believed. It's God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. God just shows grace. He just shows mercy. He shows grace. So God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. In other words, He's changed us. He has transformed us In salvation. Salvation comes from me putting my faith in what Christ has done. Me putting my faith in what God has provided through His Son Jesus Christ. Me putting my faith in Jesus, bleeding out His blood on the cross. Jesus literally defeating death, defeating the grave, defeating hell, defeating sin. Me putting my faith in what, what Jesus has done is what saves me. It's not anything that I do to earn it. Not anything that you do to earn it. But it's by grace. We don't deserve it. God says, you know what? If you trust in my Son, if you believe in Him, you'll be saved. Now many of us, we go, that's just too easy. But if we just saw a few minutes ago a child can put their faith in Christ and be saved at seven years of age. And you might say, well, how old does a kid have to be? Old enough to understand that. You know, often we want to qualify it with, what's the age? Whenever they understand the gospel, the good news, when they they understand that it's by faith, they can be saved. Some of us, we want we make them wait too long, and some of them, we, we push it too early. But it's whenever they can understand that. and And so... It's important for us to understand we can't earn our salvation. It's a gift from God, not something that we earn. Look at this passage here. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. Paul is saying, hey, listen, we don't think like that anymore. We know He is the Son of God. We know He is the King of kings. We know He is the Lord of lords. We know Him so differently now. Man, we, we understand. It's not a religious thing. This is Paul who was all about being Hebrew among Hebrews. He was all about being the Jew among Jews. He was all about being, following the letter of the law. He said, hey listen man, it's about faith in Christ now. And then he goes on to say this. He goes, how different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Those that were just baptized have a shirt that we give anyone that's baptized here. On the back it says "forever changed." And I don't know if y'all realize this, but "forever" to us means "forever." That's what that means. So "forever changed," and so that passage, Second Corinthians five seventeen, is on the back of that. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come. And, and and this is what we want you guys to understand: is man, that God changes us. And I've said this many, many times. If there's no change in your life, there's no Jesus, because He does change us. He brings conviction. He literally he brings conviction over areas that don't do not line up with his word, because Jesus and the Word are one and the same. And whenever we are just living a life that's often a lie, then we feel conviction. We claim one thing, but we live a different way. It should bother us, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So here is the age old debate. The age old debate comes from a passage that this is one of the main passages they often refer to here. And and just like we saw the the young girls today go through the waters of baptism. Baptism does not save you. It is literally the outward expression of the inward change. It's kind of like that wedding band. It lets everybody know that I'm married. Well, that lets everybody know in this room, you know what? These these girls have put their faith in Christ and they're going public with it. It's a public proclamation. It's a public profession. And by going public, they're letting everybody know Christ lives within them. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. Symbolizing the dying to the old way of living. You go, man, they're seven years old. At seven years old, I was stealing nickels. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, I was sinful. At five years old, you can be sinful. At four years old, you can be sinful. And so what you're saying is, you know what? I'm dying to the sinful way of living. I want to live for Christ. I want to be redeemed. I want to be a child of God. And so here, the age-old debate comes from this passage here out of Hebrews. And again, this becomes fodder, if you would, for theologians and, uh, you know, guys who sit around and, and debate the Bible and debate what they believe and that, you know, one thinks they know more than the other type deal. And the main thing is, is just trying to align it with God's Word, you know, and making sure that, hey, what does God's Word say? So let's, let's look at this. It says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, And who then turn away from God. It is impossible it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up for public shame. Alright, so the question is this is was the person truly saved? Somebody would ask, you know, depending on what camp of thinking you're in, they would say, All right, well, that person was never truly saved, and if they were never truly saved, then you know what? There's no salvation to lose. Then others over here in this other camp would say, hey, they were saved, but they literally walked away from God. They chose to go back to whatever lifestyle they were in, and they have surrendered their faith. They have given it up. So now they are lost. They're going to go to hell. They're going to bust hell wide open. I think I remember telling you guys, I had a friend of mine that I went to uh, church with on a regular basis, and I was not a believer, but I was going to that church because there were a lot of pretty girls there, and I thought, hey, man, might you know something like, might get a date here or something like that. So I was there for those reasons. Not for godly reasons, but I was there for those reasons. And I remember asking, you know, there was some guy I hadn't been at church in a couple of weeks. And I was like, hey, listen, what happened to such a, I hadn't seen him in a, in a couple of Sundays. And my buddy goes, man, he's going to hell. And I was like, dang, what happened? He goes, yeah, man, he hadn't been at church in two or three weeks. He's going to hell. And I was like, so if you don't go to church, you go to hell. It's pretty much what I was asking. And, uh, he was like, well, heck yeah, dude. And I'm thinking, okay. And I'm, a, I'm not a believer, so I'm kind of weighing this out going like, well, man, I've got to really commit to this if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to be saved, because I don't want to go to hell if I you know, if I miss church. But that was kind of the mentality. And, and so, let's look at this again. So, depending on what camp of thinking you're in, look at what it says again, though. It says, that, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. In other words, it's saying that, you know what, the, the things of God became something that they saw. That they visualized. That they 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 understood. They understood the gospel, so that they were enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit was there. And, and so you would say, All right, "To me, that that person is saved. They have they understood the gospel. They heard it. They responded. They were they they shared in the Holy Spirit. the, the presence of God was placed within them." who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. All right, to me, that is someone who, is, who has been saved and who then turn away from God. So what the, I feel like they're talking about here is people who are believers, who have put their faith in Christ, but they have turned away from God. And I'll explain that in a second. It says, It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. Alright, so this is what I would say. This passage in Hebrew focuses on repentance, not salvation. Which are two different things. And so it's talking about repentance in that passage. And so let me just say this. So, you know, what they what they believe about this passage, they were writing to some of the, the Jews, if you would. Some of the people, Messianic Jews, who were living in northern Africa. Who literally, you know, had, had, had come to know Christ, had experienced these things that the writer is talking about here and is experiencing these things, and has experienced the Holy Spirit, but yet they're wanting to go back into how they had lived. And if you go back into the Jewish culture, you go back into the Old Testament and things like that, there was blood sacrifices that took place. And that blood sacrifice, maybe you're sacrificing a a ram or a dove or whatever it might be, was a foreshadowing of the perfect lamb that would be sacrificed on the cross. So these, these blood sacrifices were a foreshadowing... "...of the perfect Lamb who would bleed out His precious blood for your sins and my sins." He would he would bleed out for the, for the sins of the entire world. So for many, they think that these people were literally people who had heard the gospel, had responded to the gospel, but you know what? They began to drift back into what they had always done, what they had always known, and they were beginning to practice blood sacrifices again. They were beginning to do things that lined up with maybe the culture more so than the teaching of the gospel. And so for me, I think back to whenever I gave my life to Christ at the age of 19, let me just say this, there's no doubt in my mind that I was truly saved at that moment. No doubt in my mind. But what I did know is that I did know how to live how I had lived the 19 years before that. What I did not know is how to live as a Christian, how to live as a man of God, how to live as a righteous person. I didn't know how to do that. I, I didn't know how to you know, to do a quiet time. I didn't know how to do a lot of the stuff that we often take for granted. Because no one discipled me. So for the first six months after I gave my life to Christ, I began to flounder and I began to struggle. And what I wanted to do is drift back over into what I had known how to do. And some of that was sinning. And some of that was living the way I had always lived for 19 years because I knew how to do that. But man, I didn't know how to live... For God, I didn't know how to live in a way that honored Him. So nobody chose to disciple me. And then a guy moved into our church, or moved to our area, came on staff with our church, and he began to disciple me. He began to teach me and equip me and prepare me for the works of ministry. He became a mentor in my life, and so I began to mature and begin to grow up in my faith, begin to understand what it meant to follow God, to live for God, to, to literally to crucify the flesh. And to die to some things and to avoid certain things because this man was teaching me those things. And so I, I feel like what the, what the passage is covering here is not salvation because it doesn't even say that, but it says repentance. And repentance is whenever we are broken over our sin and we turn from what the way we've been living and we turn to God. And, and so I think most of us know there, there are people around us that claim to be Christians that often sin. You know, And so the question is, Is how much sin do you have to sin before you go into hell again? I mean, some of you sped on the way here, right? That's breaking the law of the land. So are you going to hell today or what? Some of you had an argument on the way here. You were fussing and fighting. Maybe you said a cuss word on the way here. Are you going to heaven or what? You know what I'm saying? So how much sin does it take for you to be disqualified from God's grace? And so I don't understand this. How can you lay your head down on your pillow at night with a peace that passes understanding if you think, man, you know, do I if I have a bad dream, is that going to mess me up with God? And and so I think that, you know, there are some things and some evidences that we will see that show and indicate whether we are truly believers or not. And I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. But I do believe that you can lose your rewards. And I want us to cover that now. You can lose your rewards. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 3, 13-15. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. There's some people that I feel like they just want to barely get into heaven. They want to slide under the gate, man, and go, whoop, barely made it. You know, and so it really should be, man, it should be to the point where we go, you know what? God has saved me. God has changed me. You know, and I want as many people as possible to go with me to experience what God has promised me. And I want to share the hope of the world with those who don't know Him. And I want to do everything I can to reach them. I want to minister to them. I want to disciple them. I want to learn about God. And so that should motivate us. And so here it's saying, hey, listen, it's like we barely escape through the flames. We barely get in. And so some of the works that we do, some of the works and things that we get focused on won't last. And for many of us, our focus is on the wrong things. just things of this world rather than things of God. Now, here's the thing, and I want to be clear on this. We don't work for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We don't work to earn salvation, but we do work out our salvation. As Christ is changing me, it is worked out in my life. It is evidenced in my life. It is fruit that is produced in my life. And so just like a banana plant is producing fruit, it is working that fruit out. And so for us in our life, there should be certain things that people look at our life and they go, I can see the power and the presence of God in that man's life. I can see the power and the presence of God in that woman's life. And so our the works that we do ought to be such that people will look at that and they glorify our Father in heaven. And hopefully, prayerfully, for some of us, they look at us and they go, man, I want a marriage like they have, because they are committed to their covenant. They're committed to their spouse. they They love their God. They worship in truth and in spirit. And so the works that we do literally show up on the outside of who we are and the people around us go, you know what? I want to know God the way that they know God. And so we do work out our salvation. The Bible even says with a little bit of fear and trembling that we make sure that we walk in step with God's Spirit. That we're afraid of doing anything that would stifle the Spirit. That would cause the Spirit to 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 want to take His, His blessings out of our life. I've said this to our staff over and over and over here at our church. Let's not do anything that would give God a reason to take His hand of blessing off of Journey Church. But if anything, man, let's do everything we can to point people towards God, to honor Him with what we do, and to bring excellence in everything that we attempt. That should be what drives us and motivates us as a church. So we don't work out our salvation, but we do work out our salvation. We don't work to earn it, but we do work it out. And so here's the thing. Here's the question. What do our works say about us? So ask yourself, what do the works that you do say about you? Do they say that you're a godly man or a godly woman? Do the works that you do on a daily basis, do they scream to the world and the people around you that, you know what, your God is real. Your God is loving. Your God is forgiving. Your God is merciful. So what do the works that you do each day say to the people around you? That your God is forgiving because they've seen you forgive others? Do they see that your God is loving because they've seen that you love others? What, what do the people around you see? What do your works scream to them? And so what do our works say about our walk with Christ? And you might say, well, what do you mean by works, Mike? Well, I would just say what you do. What you focus on. What you worship. What you, what you spend your time on. What you spend your money on. So what do those things say to the people around you about what's most important? What, do, what does your family believe is the most important thing to you? Is it your collection, whatever that might be? be? Is it your lake house? Is it your car? Is it your home? Is, is it your vacations? What is the most important thing to, to you if we were to ask your kids or your parents? What's the most important thing? Is it your phone? Is it your technology? Is it your stuff? And so here's the thing, you can lose, you can lose your rewards and here's some of the things I think we miss whenever we, we are believers but we are not seeking God, we're not walking with God, we've turned away from Him. You miss the blessings of God. You miss the blessing of God. tell people this all the time. You know, reading God's Word is important. I think it's life-changing. But here's the thing. We miss a blessing when we don't apply the Word of God. You know, you're driving down the road and you hear, Word on the way, man. Word on the way. This is the Word for the day. And you hear that Word and you go, Man, that's a good Word. And you hear it and you go, Man, it sounds good. That's something I ought to do. But you don't apply it, then here's the thing. You have missed the greatest blessing. So whenever you apply the Word of God to your life, you receive a blessing. Here's the thing. Not only you, but the people around you receive that blessing. You become a channel of God's blessing. And so, whenever we're not walking with God, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you say, hey man, I know I'm saved. I'm just not in God's will right now. or I'm not I'm not where I need to be. Then here's the thing. You're missing out on God's blessings. There's something about blessing someone that man, returns a blessing to us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we look for ways to bless people. We look for ways to bless the church. We look for ways to bless people around us. We look for ways to bless people. And when we do that, we receive blessings. So you can lose, you can lose your rewards, and we miss the blessings of God. Here's the second thing, or the next one there. We miss the will of God. You know, we're, we're, we're going. Hey, man, I want you to pray for me. I just want to know what God's will is. Do I take this job? Do I move to this this town or the city? Do I do I go with this new opportunity? Hey, at what school do my kids need to go to? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Or should I buy this whatever? You know, or should I give this amount to the, to the to the mission team? Should I do this? Should I do that? I just want to know what God's will is. Well, the thing is, if you're not seeking God, if you're not chasing after God, you won't know what His will is. I was talking to someone this morning. They were talking about how God has just revealed Himself a couple of ways this past week. That's just because you're seeking God. Because God's Word says, if you seek me, you will what? You will find me. And so too often we don't seek God in our day to day life and we don't seek Him from moment to moment. We don't ask His opinion unless we feel like, hey, this, you know, this isn't working out. So God can, can you bail me out? God can you help me out? And, And we don't ask on the front end. We often ask on the back end for God to just bless what we've already decided. And so we don't know God's will. We talked about it last week. There's so many places in Scripture where it says, this is God's will for your life. But for a person that's not seeking God and not walking with God, they will miss the will of God. And whenever you're out of God's will, let me just say this, it affects the people around you. If you're in the center of God's will and you're, you know, you're receiving His blessings, you become a channel of blessings. But here's the thing, is whenever you're out of the will of God, you've also become a channel of consequences. Because God will discipline those He loves. God will rebuke you. And oftentimes you include your family and anybody else in that rebuke. You miss the peace of God. I talked about this earlier. The peace of God. If you're not doing what you ought to be doing, if you're not walking with God, if you're not in a personal relationship where you're pursuing God, maybe you're, you're, you are, you're getting caught up in religion. Dude, there's no peace in religion. There's no peace in religion. There's peace through, through a relationship... With God through His Son Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can have the peace that passes understanding. And so we don't have peace. We're in turmoil. We know that, you know what, man, I'm not where I need to be. But we're not willing to take the steps to get where we need to be. And so we miss the, the peace of God. Here's the last one here. You'll have unanswered prayer. You'll have unanswered prayer. A lot of times we get angry with God because He's not answering our prayer. Well, maybe it's because you have sin in your life. Maybe it's because you have unconfessed sin. Maybe you pray with wrong motives. There's lots of reasons in the Scriptures that tell us why our prayers go unanswered. We, we pray with wrong motives. We pray for the wrong reasons. We pray with sin in our life. And we're not willing to say, God, search me and, and show me if there's any offensive thing in me. But God, I, w- I want to know what Your will is. And that's the other thing. We want God to do what we want rather than what God has in mind. Because God's will is always what? Best. And so, we have unanswered prayer. And maybe there's areas of your life right now. Maybe you got somebody in your life that's going through a, a physical challenge. It could be cancer. It could be something else. You know, and you go, God, why are you not healing them? Well, maybe it's because it's not God's will, but it could be because, you know what, your prayers aren't making it through the ceiling. You're going, Why God, I don't understand. You know, our finances. Look at our finances. You know, why are, why are you not blessing our finances? Maybe because you're not honoring Him with your finances. Maybe you're living in sin in an area, and you're going, God, why are you not answering my prayers for a new job? Well, maybe you're not doing a good job at the one you're at now. So you got to be willing to say, God, help me to understand Your will, Your purpose for my life. So those are some things we can lose. I do believe that you can lose the rewards. Now, like I said, we don't earn salvation. But I do believe there are things that God rewards us. You want your marriage to be blessed by God? Then love your spouse the way that God tells us to in, in Ephesians chapter 5. You want your relationship to be blessed by God? Then line up with God's Word. You might say, well, we love each other. Yeah, but you're living together. You know what? Instead of living together, why don't you get married and do what God's Word says? And say, God, I want you to bless my marriage. Because here's the thing. God wants to bless us. I hope you guys understand. He is a loving God. He wants to bless us. But whenever we're outside of what He has said He will bless, then here's the thing. He can't bless. It won't bless because it goes against what He has already said. Therefore, it makes Him a liar. And he's not really God then. And so God is going to honor His Word. And so what we should do is desire to line up with His Word so that we can be in the center of His blessings. So here's five things that, that give you confidence you are saved. I think sometimes we just need to have that confidence because there are times that we go through life and we go through a tough time. We feel, hey, man, has God abandoned me? Has He left me? No, because His Word says He will never leave us nor forsake us, right? If He will never leave you nor forsake you, that's His promise, then we know that if He's if He's... Truly living within us, if we are truly saved, then you know what? We have confidence of that. And here's five things that will give you confidence of that. Number one, you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Five things that give you confidence you're saved. You will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. First John. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand. You're willing to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Not, hey, I, I want to be saved. Or, hey, Jesus is just important to me, but you're saying that He is Lord. Well, Lord means He is first. It's not that He's second or third or fourth or fifth on the list. You're saying, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. He is the most important person in my life. Jesus is Lord. So, if you're truly saved, then you say, hey, listen, it's not what my wife says. It's not what my husband says. It's not what anybody else says. It's what God says that matters most. And so He is Lord of my life. He is over all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules in my life. So if you're truly saved, you have no problem saying, you know what? Jesus comes first. He's Lord. Number two, you will obey the commands of Christ. I think most of us know, and it's said over and over and over throughout the Scriptures, Jesus says, you will know, the world will know that you're my followers, my disciples, by the fact that you follow my teaching." Here it says, loving God means keeping His commands and His commandments are not burdensome. First John five three, You will obey the commands of God. You'll want to line up with His Word. Because the very presence of God is already in you. And He's going to lead you in that direction. He's going to lead you to, to be in right standing and, and to line up with the Word of God. Here's number three. You'll be miserable when sinning. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but there are times where I've sinned and, and it's bothered me to the point of, you know what, I've got to go Apologize. Now this morning I got here, I, there was somebody that I wanted to go and talk to because I, I felt like I, I owed him an apology. And I went and apologized to him because it bothered me. And so, here's the thing is, if I'm going to go out of my way to apologize to someone because it's something I felt like offended them, I would think that if I'm a believer, if I've offended the one true God, I'm going to go out of my way and say, God, will you forgive me? God, will you will you forgive me for where I've messed up? Will you forgive me? And, and so I think it's important for us to go, you know, God... I want to be broken over my sin. The Bible says that God desires a broken and contrite spirit that we're broken over our sin. We don't revel in it. And we don't justify it as a Christian. Now, if you're not a believer, then you may justify your sin. But if you're a Christian, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're not trying to justify it. You're broken over it. I mean, as soon as you do what is wrong, you feel remorse. It bothers you. And you're miserable because of that. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Listen to what it says, they can't keep on sinning. It's killing them. Now if you're if you're one of those where man, you can sin and it don't bother you whatsoever, there may no be, be no Jesus there. But if, if you can continue to to do that, you need to ask yourself, Man, it's not bothering me. I have no conscience. God, what's wrong with me? Am I truly saved? You know, there are oftentimes we'll try to hide something for years and years. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe you're involved in a uh, an adulterous affair. And you go, you know, I want God to bless my family. It doesn't work that way, bro. It doesn't work that way. Maybe, maybe you're stealing from work. You know, you know, over and over you've been stealing. Little here, little here. And you think, well, nobody knows. But you know what? It should bother us if we're doing something that goes against God's teaching. Maybe there's someone that you hate. There's someone that you hate. I mean, if, I, if, if, if you were to call out their name, your blood pressure just goes up and all of a sudden you realize how much you hate them. The Bible says that you're to love them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Because that's what your God does. That's what Jesus does for us. Number four, you'll keep yourself from evil. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. God holds us securely, but here's the thing. God gives us wisdom to avoid certain pitfalls. There's some of us in this room that we're more interested in being friends with our friends than we are being in right standing with our God. I can remember whenever I got saved at the age of 19, there were some friends I had to quit hanging out with. There were some places I had to quit going. You know, I grew up in Mobile home of mardi gras and you know and and so that's where it started what new orleans it was it was mobile and mobile will fight you over that and so i grew up going to mardi gras day and watching everybody drink i didn't drink but i was always in a you know in a mix of all that and so i'd watch everybody drink and always hope for a good fight you want to see somebody getting a good fight i mean i know that sounds terrible but when i became a christian i was like man i'm not i'm not a part of that anymore so mardi gras day i would always go fishing all my buddies would go, man, are you not going down to downtown to Bienville Square? Are you not going to go down and, you know, you know hang out? It's like, no, I don't want to be around that. And so there were certain people I didn't want to be around or certain things I didn't want to be a part of. And so I began to, you know, put myself in better situations. And so for some of you, I think too often you're more interested in hanging out with your friends than you are hanging out with your God. And you've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, If this is the wrong place for me, if this is causing me to stumble, if this is causing me to sin, if this is causing me to strain our relationship, God, give me the strength to walk away. And maybe, let me just say this, this may not be what you want to hear, but you walking away may be what gets your friends' attention to where they go. You know what? They really are changing and being transformed into the image of Christ. There's something different about them. They're not just one of us anymore. Number five. You will love other Christians. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. He loves other believers, and so let me ask you: Do you love other believers? You like some of them? That's not what I ask. Do you love people who put their faith in Christ? You know, there, I talk about even this this question today. It's one of those; it becomes a debate. It gets debated all over the place. Oftentimes, Christians spend more time arguing with each other than they do reaching the people that we're called to reach. We want to argue over our opinion, what we think is right, what we think is whatever, and we, and we get caught up in silly arguments. And don't you, don't you know that Satan loves that? Satan loves for us to argue to the point of where we become divisive in the church, we cause problems in the church... And the other people on the outside go, you know what, there's no unity there. There's nothing that I want to be a part of. They're no different than anybody else. Don't you know that Satan loves that? Sure he does. I would if I was him. I would love to see the church argue and fuss and, and bicker and you know, and, and the world go, you know what, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, why would I want to be a part of that? But Jesus, we, look, we read in John chapter 17 where Jesus says, Father, let them be one as we are one. God, let us, let us, let us work together. Let us, let us see a, a change. You know, one of the things I, I was thinking about the works earlier. And our works, you know, our works should be evidence to people around us. This morning I, I walked around the building and I was just looking at all the different areas. Our children's area downstairs looks amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible the work they put in down there. But I was walking around and I was just looking at all the different places where people serve and, they make a difference. And I was watching our, our parking team outside. You know, those guys stand out there in the heat and the cold and they welcome people. Then they, you know, just kind of direct them in. And say, hey, welcome to Journey Church. You got greeters who stand at the door and say, hey, listen, welcome to Journey Church. We're glad you guys are here. You know, and, and then we got people that work in the cafe that serve you donuts and coffee and, and, and they just try to make you feel welcome. We got people that work in the children's area who, who teach kids and they change dirty diapers. I mean, think about that. They're changing dirty diapers in Jesus' name over there. You know, they're doing, what some of you guys don't want to do. we got people that work with students. we got people that work back here in the back to make sure that the sound is right. we got people that work up in the back up there that their job is literally to make sure that the words on the, on the screens are right and you know, the videos work properly. we got somebody up there in, in a video booth that's making sure that the message is able to be broadcast literally all over the world to where someone might hear the gospel and put their faith in Christ. How cool is that? You know what those things are? Those are people that are working out their salvation... By working in a way that serves the body of Christ, which is what the Bible teaches us to do, and serves our Lord and Savior. And so next Sunday night, we're having a, we're having a a dream team party where we're gonna celebrate what God is doing through some of these people, because these people are helping people take steps towards Christ. And, and they're helping literally make a difference in the lives of people that walk through these doors, your lives. And so there may be some of you that maybe you're, you've been sitting on your hands, you've been sitting on your gifts, you're going, you've been sitting on your abilities. And you go, Mike, I just don't know where I could serve. Well, then come find out. And let those works be part of what God uses to be a difference in someone else's life. Some of these guys get here early, early in the morning. I pass by a lot of churches that there's no cars in the parking lot. When we get to Journey, dude, there's all kinds of cars in the parking lot. Because these people are committed. And you know what? They believe in what we're doing. And they believe in the message and the, and the mission of Journey Church. So let me ask you, do you? Do you believe in the gospel? Then where are you serving? Where are you using your gifts? Where are you using your abilities to make a difference? Because here's the thing, people will see you using those gifts. They'll see your commitment and they'll go, you know what? Man, I want to be like they are. I, I want to be committed to something that, you know what? They believe in it. There's some next steps here. This last, this last passage, let me read this one. I love this. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I had someone this past week sharing with me some of the things that they're working through. And I sent them a simple message back and I said, Hey listen, I just want you to know I, I love seeing God heal you and change you to be more like Christ. And, and it rattled them. And I'm thinking, what's, what's so powerful about that statement? But for them to think along those lines. But here's what I'm saying. God is at work in you. Set Him free. Let Him go. Let Him work in you. Let Him work through you. And so here's some next steps maybe for some of us in this room today. Nail down once and for all my salvation. The most important thing that you can walk out of here today is knowing without a shadow of a doubt that Christ lives in your heart. You're not hoping, you're not hoping that, you know, man, I hope I go to heaven, I hope I'm saved. Man, there's no reason to think like that. And the Bible says, I've told you these things that you might know that you have salvation. You don't have to walk through life hoping. Man, I hope I slide in, I hope I get in, I hope I know what to say. The whole thing is, is man, just make the decision to nail it down today. Why walk through life wondering when you can know that you're saved? And so for some of you, that's the decision you need to make today. Here's another one. Live with the confidence that I am loved and purchased by God. Too often we feel like, man, I'm just a mistake. Man, I'm always messing up. God doesn't love me. I keep sinning over and over and over again. You know, and, you know, how could God love me? Listen, He loves you when you were at your most sinful state. The worst that you've ever been. He loves you enough to send His Son Jesus to die for you. The worst that you will ever be. The worst thoughts you've ever thought. The worst, the worst act that you have ever committed. Jesus died for that. He didn't die for how good you could be. He died for how bad you could be. And so here's what I love about it. He died for the past sins. He died for me stealing nickels. He died for the sin that I will struggle with today. And He died for the sin that I will commit tomorrow. He died for my past, present, and future sins. And He holds in His hand, no one can snatch away. If He holds you, if you have put your faith in Him, He holds you. And nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all this world can separate you. I don't know what other scripture you need to be able to walk out of here today with the peace of knowing that you're in a relationship with God, and that you're His child, and that you cannot be lost again. Death can't put its grip on you again. Freedom can't be snatched away from you again. But you can walk in the confidence of knowing, you know what, I am loved, and that He purchased me with His precious blood. And it finalized that forever, for eternity. Look at the last one there. Choose today to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Choose today to to serve. Choose today to do good deeds. Choose today to spur those around you towards good deeds and works that people will see those and they will honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Choose today to do something. Choose today. Say, you know what, God? I want to be used by You for Your purposes and for Your kingdom. I don't want to just kind of go through the motions. But God, I want to be used by You. Use me. Take my hands. Take my skills. Take my gifts. God, just use me. And God, may you receive all glory. Let's pray. I want to talk to the Christians in the room. Does He have you? Are you walking in step with His Word? Are you walking in step with His Spirit? Are you grieving His Holy Spirit? Is there sin that you need to confess today? That you need to lay down at His feet? Do you need to turn from something and turn to Him? Then do it. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be in right standing. In the center of His will. It's God's desire. For those of you in this room that you, you don't, you're not sure about your salvation, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity, why not nail it down right now? Maybe somebody watching on video, maybe right now you go, you know what man, I wanna, I wanna know that I'm saved. I wanna know that I know that I know. So how do you do that? It's as simple as this. You confess your sins. You say, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I have messed up. I've messed up in the past. I still mess up now and I'll probably mess up in the future. So Jesus, I wanna ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, will you come into my heart by faith I'm believing in all that Jesus did on the cross, in the tomb, that He defeated hell, He defeated grave, He defeated sin, He defeated it all. I'm putting my faith in Christ. So God, I'm believing with everything that's in me. All the faith that I have. Jesus, I believe that You can save me. And I believe that You can hold me until I come home to be with You. So Jesus, I want to ask You to change me. That's repentance. And I want to turn to you. And so if that is your prayer, you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive you of all unrighteousness. If you repent of your sins and turn to Him, He will cleanse you. And if you have put your faith in Him, He will save you. So if that is you, if that was the prayer you just prayed, I just want you to raise your hand. And just say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. Anybody in the room? Just raise your hand. Just raise it high where I can see it. Just say, man, I just prayed that prayer. Anybody? That tells me that nearly everybody in this room is believers. So let me ask you this. Are you living for Him? Are you walking with Him? And are you living in such a way? Are you serving in such a way that others can see Jesus in you? If not, then what are you going to do about it? He trusts us enough to carry His message. He trusts us enough to be His ambassadors. And He gives us the opportunity to serve others. Father, I thank You for loving us redeeming us, changing us, saving us. God, thank You that You're not done with us. God, I pray for all these in this room that say that they are believers. God, they they would find a place to use their gifts. God, they'd find a place to use their abilities. God, they'd find a place to serve others. That serve the body of Christ. That serve those who don't know You. God, they'd share their faith. God, they would walk in obedience to Your Word. They would become a light in a dark world. God, I pray that You would use them for Your purposes and for Your kingdom. God, thank You for saving us. And God, thank You for the peace of knowing that You will never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, Amen.